Welcome to the Bespoke Buzz. Join me, Rebecca Russell, owner of Bespoke Vintage, as I chronicle my adventures in the historical and vintage clothing world. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited for today's podcast because I have my mom in the studio with me. Welcome, mom. Well, thank you, daughter Becky. We are going to be talking about sewing across generations. This is a really special podcast for me because, well, obviously sewing is a big part of my life, but it's also something that has really been a traditional skill in my family that has been passed down from my grandmother to me and has really enabled me to be super connected to my grandmother and to my past, really, through a pretty traditional skill. And now I'm able to pass that down to my kids. Well, okay, none of them have really picked up the sewing bug, but the tradition of having it be a family skill and a big part of our lives is definitely there. Now, my mom did not do a whole lot of sewing throughout her life, but it was her machine that I first learned to machine sew on. And of course, she grew up with a sewing mother herself, my grandmother, Mickey, my sewing mentor and hero, who I spoke about in my very first podcast. My mom is going to share some of her childhood memories and experiences of growing up with a sewing mom in the 1950s and 60s. And I will share some of the challenges and rewards of sewing for my kids, both for historical events when they were small and then later as teens. So as usual, let's jump right in. So let's start with a little background so we can help my audience get a feel for what your childhood was like. My first memories of my mother sewing was when I was about three years old which was when my younger brother was born. And I have strong memories uh, about that anyway. So during that time, I, I connect his birth to my mother's sewing. And the sewing occurred in the living room of our house. And I remember my mother sewing almost every spare minute she had, which included while my brother was taking naps. And because it was a small apartment at the time, there were just the four of us, my father, mother, brother, and me, it was pretty obvious that the sewing was going on. And so I would go up to her and lean on her while she was sewing. And I could tell she was okay with that up to a point. And then (laughs) there's certain things you have to do on the sewing machine (laughs) that could get a little complicated if a child is leaning on you. But I wanted to be as close to her as possible while she was sewing. I wondered if this was her toy, just like I had toys and my brother had toys. And of course, this was as seen through my very young eyes. Okay, well, normally you share toys. And so I was always, it always seemed as though I was waiting for her to share her toy. So fast forward to when I was about five years old. And I, up to that point, I had not questioned why my mother did not share her giant toy, the sewing machine. So I thought, well, okay, it's about time to look into this. So I asked my mother if I could do whatever she was doing on the sewing machine. And of course, she said, no, not quite. And that was kind of the end of it. So fast forward then about three three more years to when I was, oh, maybe seven years old. And I asked if she could 
teach me to do what she does on the sewing machine. And as I recall, she said, well, maybe a few more years because you can kind of get hurt on the sewing machine and can break easily. And uh, my time is so limited when I am on here that uh, I need, I just need to move quickly. So and I'm she guessing said, sewing machines back then were probably relatively expensive or maybe harder to come by today. You can go on Amazon and get a sewing machine for $50, which, you know, or $100. I'm assuming back then that wasn't necessarily something that you would want a young person, like you said, to mess up. Right. So of course, as I grew older, I came to realize that. I don't recall ever learning how to sew for my mother though, because there never seemed to be a good time. And I started to associate her sewing with what we might call today, your time out for yourself, taking care of yourself, because my mother seemed... That was her downtime. Her downtime, yes, another way to say it. A very active downtime, though. It's not like uh, slowly moving in yoga. She was moving quickly and moving from the bed where she was laying out her patterns on the floor where she was cutting the pattern. So it was a very active downtime. Well, that's funny. Sarah says that sewing is my yoga. It's the same thing. Even though it's not yoga, it's the thing that lets you concentrate on yourself. So that that was Grammy's yoga. Right. So it wasn't an actual, obviously she was very happy. My mother was always a very calm person anyway. uh, I don't ever recall her, well, maybe one little time where she got a little upset uh, about something. So she seemed even more chill, if you will, when she was sewing. And so somehow, although it was never requested by her to leave her alone. She never closed a door, whichever room the sewing machine was in. I just felt that that was, uh, well, another way to say it might be a sacred time. And she had very, very busy hands all the time. There's that expression, busy hands keep the devil away or something like that. (laughs) So she was always busy. So Interestingly, even though she never asked us to stay out of the room, we just, at least I could sense that that was the thing to do. What I discovered in asking her a zillion times who she was sewing for, what she was making, it almost always came out that she was sewing for me. And then I became more aware of that as the years went along because then she went, at first she wouldn't try on clothes before she did the final sewing. But then as I got older, she was always trying on the clothes that were going to be for me. So I I, I came to greatly appreciate that this activity, this this kind of mysterious activity on the sewing machine was centered on me. So I thought, wow, that's that's pretty special. But anybody who sews knows that sewing boys and men's clothes, I mean, maybe I'm just saying this from my perspective, but I'd say that most people, most people would agree that men's clothing is a, is a lot more frustrating or tricky than sewing for girls. So perspective, right. and again, you have done not- that as a little Exactly. So in my mind's eye, I thought, well, wow, I must really be special. (laughs) Or my mother kind of has. And that is probably right. There's a intrinsically there may become a bond between a mother and a daughter over sewing where there may not be with the other children because the types of things you're sewing will tend to be for girls because that's an easier thing to sew for than it would be or more readily available than for boys. I mean, my situation was a little different because I was sewing historical things. I didn't have, you know, the option to go out and buy it. So I was sewing for everybody, but yeah. So I really appreciate 
appreciated that. That made you feel special. Yes, and it, and it continued to make me feel special through elementary, middle school, high school, college, and then as a grown adult. Okay, so what would you say, in thinking back on all of that, what would you say is your favorite memory around your mom sewing? What I really enjoyed is what's in my earliest memory as far as leaving the house because of sewing knees, looking for patterns, etc. That became my favorite time, which usually occurred on a Saturday. My mother was a teacher. She first started teaching from the time I was in third grade. So Saturdays were special to her, and we would usually take a bus to the downtown, because of course there weren't really any shopping malls early on, go right away to J.C. Penny, which was her favorite store to go to to shop for patterns and fabric. But some of the other stores that I remember going to were Sears Roebuck, F.W. Woolworth, Montgomery Ward, Ben Franklin, Presky, and a oh wow, uh, and a local store, huge department store was Brandeis in Omaha. So my strongest memories are going to J.C. Penney on Saturdays. So my brother, mother, and I would go, and always the sewing notions and the patterns and the fabrics were on usually the uh, highest floor in the building. So just a quick note, advance patterns for those of my listeners who sew with vintage patterns jc penny had a line of patterns that that's the advanced patterns that we see today in vintage patterns that was jc penny's brand of patterns so you don't see those anymore because jc penny doesn't make patterns anymore but those are the vintage pattern that were produced by jc penny well that makes sense then why commercial patterns. They carried the well, other commercial patterns like Butterick and Simplicity and those as well. Yes, I remember yeah. yes, I remember all those brand names. But of course she would want to go if she, if her time were limited to the store that had the most available. And of course you could not order patterns. I don't know when that started. It, there were mail order patterns, but they weren't like it wasn't Butterick and Simplicity. It was mail order patterns. There were a couple of different companies that specifically did mail order patterns. For mom actually had a couple of patterns. I've got one literally mailed in an envelope. So I've got them addressed to her mom, Regina or Regia Marie Jenkins. But that was a completely different line of pattern. Yeah, you wouldn't have ordered a simplicity or a butterick pattern. Well, thank you, so, Becky. So I, top- I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> And and to backtrack earlier than before I was born, I I know from reading my mother's diaries after she passed that she had been sewing voraciously since at least since the beginning of high school, also throughout her time in college. I mean, her till she graduated from college and then after she got married. And I could tell in reading her diaries, her sewing time was her sacred time, was confirmed by uh, the content of her diaries. So it always seemed like the top floor had furniture or the sewing department. Because you had to go go up the escalator or elevator, and it took longer. I I assume that that the top floor did not contain the most important or popular items. So I always wondered, was there less respect for the sewing department? So one thing I visually and physically remember was the slanted top table, if you will, which was about the height of your shoulders, where after you got out the huge books that 
contained pictures, illustrations, not photographs, but always illustrations, women, children, men, patterns, as well as patterns for curtains and seasonal things were in these books, which were and still are to me the biggest books I've ever seen. They were huge. And it would be so awesome if any of those were around in antique stores to have. They would be so much fun to look at. Oh, yeah. They're collector's items. You do see them come through sometimes. So I was fascinated how you couldn't sit down at a table, but you had to stand at this slanted top table if that had a piece of wood at the bottom to keep these huge books from sliding off. So you'd spread that out. And if Grammy were lucky, there wouldn't be many other people at that time. So she could display as many of those books as she could and compare maybe a chemise style dress in Butterick to the same style in another brand of book. But I couldn't see very well. I'm only five foot two. So I've always been short and it was hard for me to see those pictures. And I really wanted to see them. There were no stools. There were no chairs. You had to stand. So I would beg my mother to hold me up so I could see the books. Well, she tried, but that's pretty hard to hold a child and look through those books and make notes and everything. So I said, how about put it on the floor? I remember one day begging her, well, put it on the floor, please. And she goes, well, they probably don't want me to. I said, well, let's try. So she put it on the floor. (laughs) So here comes the curmudgeon clerk that day who my mother and I would laugh about how we needed to be very afraid of the curmudgeon because she was always spying on everybody, making sure. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I'm on the floor and I'm enjoying it and I'm flipping through the pages and here she comes. (laughs) In your memory, was Grammy wearing... Like, was this the 50s, like she was wearing fuller dresses or were we into the 60s where things were thinner profiles? Oh, no. Her clothing was very 50s and she was very svelte anyway, which is how the illustrations of models on the patterns always looked less than svelte. To me, they looked gaunt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I loved that look on her. Even as as a young child, I thought that style was so pretty and great contrast to today's clothes, which are so, they're not fitted the way they were then. So in order to get a pattern after you had decided on which ones you wanted, then we had to ask her to retrieve those patterns. And so she would go to a filing cabinet or these big wooden drawer credenzas. So that was fun because I always wanted to go with the lady to see where she was getting them and the process that she used. I was going to ask you about that because today there's a flat table and chairs so you can put the books out and sit down. And then you can just go through the cabinets and pull out the patterns that you want. I mean, obviously, I can see why back in the day they wouldn't have wanted you to do that because the patterns get misplaced and out of order and the corners get bent. That was back in the day where the customer was not given the benefit of belief that you could manage that sort of thing yourself. Right. Yeah. But that, that, that always, yes, yeah. but that occurred to me, why can't my mother just go over there? She knows the number. She had to write down, you know, all the information yeah. before the person would go retrieve the pattern. To share a similar experience, when my three oldest kids were little and I was a single mom, obviously, if I wanted to go to the fabric store, I was having to take them with me. And I can attest to the fact that that can be a challenge with little kids because fabric stores have so many interesting things to look at 
pet and feel and touch and grab. And one of the things for my kids, I would always let them pick out some buttons because those are kind of the inexpensive things that they could. So whenever we went, they could sit in the button aisle and pick out some buttons that would occupy them so that by the time that we were ready to leave, they would have some buttons picked out or some thread or something to keep them, I guess, preoccupied while we were in the fabric store. They remember that when when we go now, they're like, oh my gosh, remember how we used to always want to look in the buttons and pick out the buttons? Thank you for sharing that because that refreshed a memory because part of the the whole process was selecting fabric for the items that, that Grammy was going to sew for me. So she would say, okay, you can go to the fabrics by yourself and pick three fabrics that you believe you would like to have for a particular outfit, a dress, a top, pants, or dress. So that was the best part of it for me. She asked me to pick out three. Didn't matter what aisle it came from. If you liked it, pick it out and bring it back. And then we'll talk about whether those fabrics would work for that style of dress, whether the color is one that's popular. She, she was very aware of what was fashionable. And even though you would never think of her as trying to be fashion forward or trying to look extremely stylish, there was an element of that in her, which resulted in my having very stylish clothes when even I was growing they were made from homemade. yes I remember you'd said that before too so it was so it's interesting how she would react to my three selections for example if I picked out an orange gingham <laughs> because I liked the color or whatever then, then she would talk to me about how perhaps that fabric might be better used for something else. So she was educating me in, it's not just, you've got a fabric. Will it hold up in that style? So the chemise dress was one I most remember that she made a lot of that style for me. So she would explain if it were a, a light orange gingham checked fabric, that the pleats, if, I, if she made it so that there were pleats at the base of it, that it wouldn't withstand what you were trying to do with it. So I appreciated that. And that was always fun. That was very educational. Yeah. What I also wanted to say was when we lived in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is when I started being aware of how I knew no one whose mother sewed clothes for them. And so when they talked, when my friends talked about clothes, it was always, I wish I could remember the name. It it wasn't a department store. It was a boutique downtown Sioux Falls where the girls in my class went to get clothes, shoes, etc., so when they would see the clothes that Grammy made for me, they wanted to know where I had bought them. <laughs> so at first I thought that was kind of a compliment, which I think it was, but I noticed yeah, when people they weren't asked, asking you who made them. I think that is. But then I started thinking after a while, wait a minute. <laughs> They all go to a store, a store I have never even been in, because we only would go to <laughs> to the stores, to the sewing departments. And no, although nobody ever said anything negative, it occurred to me, what if it's not such a good deal to have your mother sewing for you when everyone else is going to a store with their mother, not for material, but to shop for new clothes? So we, you know, I, when I was in Omaha, it was fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. So girls are talking and more, you know, they're being more aware about clothing and where everything came from. So it, it, it what was a very positive thing because I always got lots of compliments to making me wonder. Wait a minute, I'm the only one whose mother is sewing for her. So is that a good thing or should I should I try to be more like everybody else who bought? 
(laughs) close downtown. (laughs) So did your mom ever try to teach you how to sew? I'm pretty sure on her own, she didn't say, would you like to learn to sew something today? I probably asked again in order to, well, you know, what are the basics, the basic basics? Just the fact that you didn't really sew a lot later in life, I would guess it probably wasn't something that really interested you. My kids all have had fleeting interest in sewing. I think Emily probably did the most. She actually bought a pattern, cut out, I think, pajama bottoms and sewed pajama bottoms. Um, yeah. Mickey sewed some masks. And I think really it was sort of a brief curiosity about how the machine itself works. Like, okay, kind of looks like, feels like driving in a way, I think to kids too. So they wanted to see what that felt like. But yeah, I mean, I was really into sewing by the time I was like seven or eight years old. And even none of my three kids really care about sewing (laughs) at all. It would have already, it would have already been apparent and none of them have picked that up even with all the sewing that I did. So, I mean, I I have never sat down and said, let me show you how to sew because Mm. there were so many opportunities where if they really were interested on their own, they would have come to me and said, hey, I want to learn how to do this. And I've always been like, you know, when Emily's like, hey, will you hem my pants? I always am like, I can show you how to do this. I have an extra machine if you want to learn how. And she's always like, no, that's okay. So I'm sure there was something like that, even with you and your mom, where it's sort of like, you know, hey, it's here, but if you don't have a passion for it, it's not something you're going to sit down and spend your time or your kid's time. Yeah. From your perspective, there was a lot of time for them to learn if you had. If they had wanted. And it sounds like from their perspective, especially in their generation, they were doing a lot more sports and all kinds of other activities. And, you know, their head was somewhere else. Well, and that's okay. For those of us who are like obsessive sewers, you think that your kids are, are going to pick it up too. But like in this case, it almost seems like maybe it's gifts a generation. Yeah. I think if there's a strong purpose for sitting down and creating something, which in your case, right from the get-go, you had the purpose of creating clothes that enabled you to participate in reenacting. Right. That's true. That was a huge driver for you. Well, and because I couldn't afford to go out and I mean, I was 10, 11 years old. I couldn't afford to go out and buy that stuff that was being made. So the only way I was going to get it was to sew it myself. And I believe that was Grammy's main thrust as well as she wanted to be creative. But the strongest reason for doing it, I believe, was she believed they couldn't afford to buy the kind of clothes that my friends were wearing. Well, and there Um, weren't stores like ready-made clothes like Target and stuff like that, where nowadays it's way cheaper to go buy clothes than it is to make it. Even if you take the time out, fabric's expensive now. A pattern is expensive because you can go buy something already made for 20 bucks. You know, you're lucky if you're going to get fabric for that. So in my case, what happened to make, and this decreased, I think this was Sanford Grammy, decreased her need to sew for me happened when I was in high school because I made the the fashion board for the Brandeis department store chain, which meant I could get a big discount when I bought clothes there. So my closet started to have ready-made clothes. I mean, not many. Well, Mm. I love the the expression circling back because you, you, as a parent, 
you like to you like to and you want to believe and you do believe that so much of what you expose your children to growing up will circle back in some way. And that is what happened with Grammy because at some point I did start buying, saving my money and buying my own clothes so that from high school through graduating from college, I don't recall her sewing anything for me. But then after I got married and early into my husband's military career in the Air Force, there were many events and formal and informal that we were absolutely expected to be at. So of course we were. And I started asking my mother to start sewing for me again. And I I could tell it just made her so happy. But we were stationed across the country or across the world many times from her. She'd have to pick out the fabric for me. And I trusted her to do that. I told her generally what style. So she made them and amazingly didn't have to alter them after I, after she sent them to me. And once again, my friends were saying, where did you get that dress? <laughs> and I never had to worry about showing up in a dress that I'd see somewhere else, especially when we were living overseas, where where we could shop was very limited. So you'd go to an event and you'd see maybe two or three other people with the same outfit on. Right. But I didn't have to worry about that when my mother made my dresses. So I'm sure it made her very very happy to enlist her sewing. So great segue into the next question then. Do you still have anything that your mom sewed for you? I know I do. Well, I know I don't. Well, I know from my memory, I have that red and gray tartan plaid skirt and like a cropped kind of jacket. Well, I I wore that red outfit for my eighth grade graduation photos. Oh, that's right. With a white blouse underneath, underneath the little jacket. Yeah. I have a pink kind of floral paisley, I think, oh, chemise dress. It's like a low-waisted, slightly low-waisted. And then I have a pink and white gingham classic 1950s style fuller skirt, simple short-sleeved dress. Yes, and that's what I wore for my eighth grade graduation. You said the red and gray you wore for your eighth grade graduation. Well, my graduation, professional photos. So I have those three. And I have them because she had them. And the one summer that I was visiting and doing a lot of sewing with her, she found those because I think I was looking through her patterns and I fit in those dresses. So she gave me the dresses to take back with and probably the pattern. I know I have the pattern. I have a pattern to the red and gray and I have the pattern to that pink dress because I can visualize them. So I need to put both of those. I need to put the with dress photos of me wearing them. Well, yeah, the graduation one. I don't think I have a picture of you in the pink and white gingham though. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about vintage fasteners and fabrics, my experiences sewing as a teen, and then for my kids, and how important sewing is as a form of continuity between generations. Hey guys, it's Beth from One Sweet Thread, just reminding you that there's still plenty of time left to treat yourself to a vintage goodie and shop the holiday collection at onesweetthread.shop. And for a limited time, all orders over $100 get a free One Sweet Thread logo tote. So treat yourself this Christmas. And Merry Christmas from One Sweet Thread. Okay, we're back. 
A lot of my listeners are vintage clothing enthusiasts, not just sewers. So can you share anything from your memories, like the types of fabric or the clothing or fasteners that really stick out to you as feeling vintage now? For example, something that you remember about the way a fastener was or type of fabric or how you wore the clothes that you just don't see anymore? Well, I remember mom using uh, many hooks, Mm -hmm. lots of hooks. Oh, yeah. Lots of elastic, lots of buttons, lots of rickrack. <laughs> when was the last yeah, time you rick saw rack. rickrack? <laughs> well, I, lo- I know, and I love using rickrack. And every time I'm making something and I'm like, oh, should I add rickrack? Everyone's like, gross, do not use rickrack. I love it. <laughs> and I, I do too. I think there's a there's a time and place for, for it. Yeah. And it will come back big time. And definitely when fabric was bought to make something for me, and also in the area where Grammy had her sewing machine and fabrics, there was a certain scent to brand new fabric. And I clearly remember that. I'm guessing that it was a finished product they put on at the time or lack of a finished product because I know at a certain point it became, I think, a a legal issue that fabrics had to have some kind of fire protection and to me, the fabric back in the 50s and 60s usually had kind of a musty smell. But then by the time mom produced something with the fabric, it didn't have that scent anymore. But but she also very often would wash every fabric that she could before she made it into something. You know, maybe that's why she always washed it, but she also wanted to make sure it didn't shrink after yeah. she made it. So she wanted the shrinkage to occur before she completed the outfits. So now what about your experience with me sewing? We talked a little bit about your mom sewed a lot. So you grew up with that. You had a sewing machine. I remember it being at the foot of your bed when I first started sneaking in and trying to use it. And I think you realized that I was doing that because I'm sure I was tying up all the threads. And then you showed me how to use it. I think I was making doll clothes for a teddy bear or something like that. And then eventually, like I said, I learned a little bit from Grammy Mickey. She taught me a lot about hand sewing because that was, she would give me the hand sewing projects to do. And then like you mentioned before, my sewing really took off in middle school because I wanted to get into the Civil War reenacting because we were living in Virginia. And that was the only way I was going to make anything. I had to go buy the fabric. I had to either make up patterns because there weren't really a lot of patterns at the time. I think Heidi Marsh was the only company that I knew at the time that made patterns and started sewing. So you've been telling us a little bit about what it was like being a kid growing up with someone who's sewing. Now, what about being a parent of a young person who is sewing? Um, Right from the beginning, when Grammy spent time with you, I think it was the summer before eighth grade, teaching you whatever she taught you about sewing, I saw you take Grammy's skills and talent and creativity and take it to a higher level than even she did, but that it was such a, a special thing that you were doing. It was you car- you were carrying on the legacy of sewing. The furthest back of which I know about was my mom's mother sewed. And I assume she 
taught my mom how to sew or my mom just observed and taught herself. I, I, I don't know. So one of the things I remember about sewing is an obsessive activity. And especially when you're going to school during the day or doing anything else during the day, a lot of times you're having to do it in whatever free time that you have. And I just remember sewing until very late into the night in Virginia, being downstairs in the basement and then later in North Carolina being up in my room. And I just remember a lot of times you coming down and being like, it's so late, you have to go to bed. And I would be like, I'm just finishing this one sleeve. I just have to do this one, you know, because maybe I had done that sleeve like 10 times or, you know, you just want to finish that project and it doesn't feel like there's a place that you can just stop and put it down. And so it's funny because as an adult, maybe you can find your own time to do that. You don't have somebody else telling you, although that's not really true either, because when you have a family, everybody's telling you what to do with your time too. But I remember that as a kid and even at the time thinking to myself, probably none of my other their friends are having to be told to go to bed because they're sewing. I'm sure I'm the only one that this is happening to. Like I'm staying up late, but it's not because I'm watching TV or doing something like that. I'm sewing. And if you were telling me to go to bed because you were always a late night person yourself, then I knew it was late, but I could lose track of time sewing. And I mean, even into my early adulthood, it could be two or three in the morning and I could still be trying to finish a project and working on something. So we were talking about my sewing as a middle schooler, getting into reenacting and stuff. And and that was eventually what I think has continued to drive my sewing throughout my adulthood. Sewing for my kids, like baby vintage clothes for Mickey when we started reenacting again because he wasn't even born when I started reenacting again. I just had Renton and Emily. Of course, Renton loved it. He loved dressing up and going to the events. Emily hated it. So, you know, typical of their personalities, I think in general, Emily did not want all those layers on and constriction. But my sewing room in Virginia was down in the basement and they loved being down in the basement with me when I was sewing. And again, when you were talking about sewing with your mom and leaning on her when she was sewing, that was kind of the memories of my kids being down there wanting to sew with me. And a lot of times, again, I would have a big bowl of buttons that I would give them to play with because you want them there because you don't want them wandering off. But in sewing, there's so many things that they can get into. Scissors and thread. And they always love getting in the thread. Levi loves to get in my thread now. But at one point, I think they had completely wrapped up one of their dolls. They'd emptied an entire spool of thread by wrapping a a bunny rabbit, like a spider wrapping up an insect when I wasn't looking when I was sewing. They had completely tied it up. It's that classic, the kids are sitting at your feet while you're sewing. I mean, I think that's a classic image. You have it with your mom. My kids have it with me. And then, of course, they got older. I didn't take them to the reenactments as much. And then they become middle schoolers and everything is the what's popular for clothes. I was really surprised when I started sewing again vintage stuff and started going through patterns and I would show the kids, what do you think about this pattern? What do you think about this pattern? And I remember being shocked when Emily and Renton both saw one of the patterns. It was a men's shirt pattern from the early 50s. And they both wanted a shirt made out of completely different fabric, but they each wanted to pick their own fabric and have a shirt made. And I remember being shocked because I was like, what? 
you actually want me to make you something now? Like in middle school? I mean, it was cool because it was sort of like it had come full circle. So, you know, I now have made them a few things that they like to wear to school. Vintage stuff is so in now. So remaking stuff with a kind of vintage feel. The kids his age and, and Emily's age love to thrift. So they like to just go to the thrift store. You could buy things for $5 or like a dollar a pound or something. It's fun for them to be able to pick out fabric and, and I can make something that either looks vintage or is totally modern fabric using a vintage pattern. So that's been kind of cool to see that happen. And still none of them want to sew. <laughs> I now can pay Emily to cut out my patterns because I hate cutting patterns. I pay her $5 a pattern to cut out the um, reproduction patterns I get that are on the heavy white paper. Oh, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. And I've told her when they're looking for work and I keep telling her, I said, hey, you've got work right here in front of you. Let me train you and you can sew for me. No, no takers <laughs> so far, but they will cut out patterns for me. So that's been good. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners have similar experiences. I know that I have some followers that have young kids and they, they sew for them, but a lot of times it's still for vintage events. I make Levi pajamas from the uh, 1940s pajama patterns. Those are fun. With little kids, you can make them those types of things and then and they get tired of vintage things, I guess. Modern clothing is soft and loose and comfy. So in general, now, Mom, you, you're kind of in the sandwich generation of Grammy is the sewer and me is the sewer, and you've been kind of been in both, I guess, directions. How important do you think it is for parents and children to have something like sewing to share, even if only at moments in time, if it feels one-sided, like your kids don't really seem interested at the time, but you're still sewing for them, or your parent doesn't really feel totally engaged with you at the time, but it's something that you see them doing and you know that you're watching your parent and you see your parent have this hobby or lifetime love. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. My sense as a, a child of a seamstress, someone who dabbled in it myself, and as a teacher and as a mother of you, I believe that any opportunity to choose an activity that is not only good for you, it's something that you can share with others. You can accomplish a purpose with it. You can also teach that skill to others. I think anything like that is very important from early on. And sewing could be one of the very first opportunities as you're growing up, especially if you're not interested in sports or musical instruments or something like that. And even if you are involved in those things, sewing could still be like frosting on the cake. It's something that you go and gives you some time to be by yourself and to do whatever you want with the fabric. And it can start, especially if, if you can get children interested in some aspect of sewing when they're younger, that they can get to the point where it's also fun. Having a spirit of fun in, in some activities that not all activities are necessarily fun, but sewing in like, for example, in your case, it led you not only to the sewing, which becomes a form of art, it can lead to activities. So for example, in your case, to all those reenactments that you were involved in. Right. And you became quite well known for your sewing and reenactments when you were in high school. So it's an unusual, can be an unusual activity that can still give you attention and acknowledgement, even from an early age. It opens what I like to say a subset of expressing oneself that a lot of people may not think of and opens you up to a whole world of maybe friends you never would have had before because of the people you're around and who you're sharing your uh, sewing 
going with. And one of the things that I love about it is it's almost kind of an opportunity to share that like oral tradition or share a tradition that you're passing on when it is something that you're sharing between generations. Because in order to learn that skill or learn from another person, there's always some sort of discussion around it. Now, interestingly, as we've been talking about this, I don't remember ever talking to Grammy about how she learned how to sew. Like I said, I had that pattern that belonged to her mom, but I don't remember her ever talking about her mom sewing. You know, she talked about she and her cousin sew, you know, like that they would sew matching dresses and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that they would sew. So, you know, maybe that was where her memories were. But regardless, it provides that opportunity to have the talking time. Your mom would talk to you about why this color or why this fabric pattern or there were discussions around it. It's not a passive activity where you don't talk. Sewing actually requires some discussion about why are we picking out this pattern and why this fabric and okay we're just sitting around cutting let's talk about it and here's how you do this and so I mean there's all these opportunities I've seen that come up through it that's not just spending time in the same room there's a closeness and you're sharing skills you're passing down through time through generations when I sew I talk about Grammy so that opportunity to share that with my kids too so that's one of the things that I think is just really neat about a skill that really was dying off and seems like it's sort of peaked back up a little bit from COVID or because vintage clothing is popular again, sewing becomes popular again. It kind of pops back up. You know, you talked about fabric being in department stores. When I first started sewing, there were two fabric stores in the mall, one on one end of the mall and one on the other end of the mall. And now there are no fabric stores in a mall. There's just Joann's. And I guess it was Hancock Fabric and Joann's Fabric were probably the two fabric stores, but they were in the mall. I mean, it was, there was dress fabric in there for a long time you couldn't find dress fabric in the fabric stores it was just crafting and quilt fabrics and now you see a lot more apparel fabric so that shows you or tells you that people are starting to sew clothing again more commonly and it's not just crafting but for many years for at least 10 to 15 years it's like all you would see in fabric store was crafting quilt craft fabrics that kind of thing it is interesting to see I think people are starting to sew clothes again. I mean, some of that's, I think, the vintage upsurge. Well, one of the most amazing things, I think this kind of piggybacks, when I have seen you and your products, most recently, you're, you're very interested in like early 1900s and 50s. By the time you interpret a particular pattern in the fabrics that you choose, which most of the time you are the one choosing the fabrics and the way you trim things up, I think to myself when I see them, you could wear that today. And someone would think it because it's so thoughtful the way that your fabrics you've chosen, the way you put trim on buttons that you cover to, with fabric, you could wear that today and someone would think that's haute couture. Mm-hmm. There's an elegance about something that is not mass produced, which my understanding is still haute couture that you would pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for or thousands. If you had a shop and you had these clothes that you make, the way that you put them together, it, it's almost as though like, for example, if you made a 1950s and style dress, which is very full and a lot of fabric, per se, that's not the style right now. Yet in your hands, if say a movie star put it on, which would give you immediate recognition, and then people would then look 
they would maybe more likely look at the outfit, forget the movie star, because then the outfit becomes so noticeable now that there'd be thousands of people wanting to order that dress. To me, it shows also the relevance and the continuity somehow of fashions that on the face of it are not popular right now, but put in the right hands and the right fabric and maybe changing just a little something that makes them still relevant today. Right. It's just almost magical to me yeah. in, in the hands of someone like you, my daughter. <laughs> my daughter. I think you might be biased a little, but I appreciate that. No. <laughs> no, I try to understand why I react that way. And it goes far beyond just the fact that you're my daughter. I like to think I recognize creativity and, and, <laughs> and talent. Well, but it's that. the beauty and the importance of continuing to have people who do what you're doing in this mass produced clothing world. Well, and, and disposable clothing, clothes that and, just get yes, which there are, there are certain stores that it's, I believe they call them throwaway clothes. They only, you only are expected to wear them for a couple of times because they're so cheap, yeah. so inexpensive. Even back in the 50s and 60s when my mom was sewing so many clothes for me, I think when they saw my clothes and because most of my friends came from, well, to do families. They spend a lot on clothes. And yet I would walk in a room with an outfit that they hadn't seen anywhere else. Right. And, and they had enough of something to recognize, wait a minute, that right. goes above. But it was well made. Right. So they were like, wait, where did that come from? Right. It, yeah. it rose to the level that they were aware. And mothers of my friends were seeing what I was wearing and may, and I would guess they were saying to their daughters, find out where she's getting those clothes. Because they recognized that they rose to a level that even they weren't able to buy in in the high-end young people's boutiques in the stores where they bought their clothes. So... We could probably continue to talk for hours on this, but we're going to wrap it up for today. And I'm just thinking 1950s. I like to make connections here. So this is an excellent segue into our little final set of questions, which is what we're reading, what we're listening to, what we're watching. So I'm going to start by talking about a movie that I first saw with Tristan while we were out in Chicago. And then Mickey and I watched it again because Mickey loves to watch the old movies with us. And then over Thanksgiving, Mickey and I made you and dad watch it with us. But the movie is See How They Run, which was the movie about making a movie about the play based on the book Mousetraps by (laughs) Agatha Christie. Um, Very well done. The clothing was a lot of fun in that movie. Um, I like the genre and I like the dry humor and the split screens and just the way they put that together. And that movie actually really reminded me of another series that I was watching called A Private Affair that I think I recommended to you. And I believe that it's in Italian, dubbed in English. Really, really beautiful costumes and beautiful cinemography in that movie. So that's another one that I would recommend. Those are two fabulous murder mysteries because that is my favorite genre, um, both set in the late 40s, early 50s. Really great. So mom, what about you? What's a movie or TV series that you've been watching that you really love? Well, we are currently watching Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Oh, PBS. 
or masterpiece. Awesome. I love that series. Yes. The clothes are so well made and designed. As I watch that show, as I do many shows like that, I'm constantly thinking, oh, Becky should see that. Oh, she would want to make that. She would really appreciate that outfit. (laughs) And a female protagonist. Murder mystery. There's a theme here. We definitely like those. Yeah. And and, uh, on my last podcast, Beth and I were talking about what an awesome job PBS always does in their historical series with clothing, all creatures great and small, Poirot, Miss Marple series. I mean, anything they do with a historical aspect to it, the costuming from top to bottom, everything is always just looks amazing. So books, I know I had started reading um, that book you gave me and now I don't remember the title of it, a mystery book novel. I know I don't remember it. So I don't even know why I'm mentioning it, but mom, are you reading anything interesting? Well, right now I'm reading a book called Life Force by Tony Robbins. Oh, okay. Just filled with lots of scientific and health-related information and suggestions for anybody at any age. So that's what I'm reading now. And recommend. Highly recommend. Good for Christmas gifting? Yes. And it's. I think it came out this year, so it's a recent book. Well, Mother... I appreciate you coming on to my podcast today and helping me talk about sewing, I guess maybe sewing across the ages. It's been interesting hearing your stories about Grammy Mickey because I don't think I knew all of that. And I can, can see you as a little kid now going with Grammy Mickey and looking at all those patterns. So that was fun for me to be able to share that as well. And and again, I think a lot of it is anybody who sews and has kids will relate to a lot of those stories and, you know, find the time to sew. Wanting your kids to love your sewing and then being sad when they don't. And well, I can say that there may be a time where they come back and want you to sew for them again. And they'll be glad that you have that talent, even if they're irritated by it a little bit during their their, uh, middle school and teenage years or embarrassed by it. They'll come back to you and be glad that you have that skill and want you to use it again. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm honored to have been on it. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to like and follow so you don't miss any of my future podcasts. And I'm going to let Dolly Parton close things out for us with her song, Coat of Many Colors. Back through the years, I go wandering once again. Back to the seasons of my youth. I recall a box of rags that someone gave us. How my mama put the rags to use There were rags of many colors But every piece was small And I didn't have a coat And it was away down in the fall Mama sewed the rags together So in every piece we loved She made my coat of many colors That I was so proud of As she sewed, she told a story from the Bible she had read About a coat of many colors Joseph wore And then she said, perhaps this coat will bring you good luck and happiness And I just couldn't wait to wear it And Mama blessed it with a kiss My coat of many colors I could be 
If you would like to write to me about today's podcast or anything else, please do. I love to get listener mail at bespokevintage at gmail.com. That's B, like the little honeybee, spokevintage at gmail.com. You can also visit me on the web at www.bespokevintage.com, where you will find pictures of past makes, details on all my services, including commissioning custom makes, my vintage pattern lookbook with literally hundreds of vintage patterns, And of course, you can find me on all the socials at Bespoke Vintage. If you'd like to become a patron, please check it out at patreon.com slash bespoke vintage. See you next time on the Bespoke Buzz.